Amen. Before our scripture, let me just remind you that um, on Wednesday, Brother Deacon Hill, Jim Hill will be having a procedure, so we want to keep him in your prayers. So, Brother Hill, on Wednesday, we want to make sure that we pause to thank God that his procedure goes well. Our text, again, is taken from the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians. We'll read Philippians chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, This morning our text is one of those standalone verses, especially verse 19, and it's one that's familiar to a lot of people who maybe not are familiar with the totality of the book of Philippians, but this is one of those this is one of those bumper sticker on the back of a t-shirt or the front of a t-shirt kind of verses that oftentimes get stretched into a lot of meanings that are not um, really germane to the text. However, it is a standalone text in the sense that it serves as both a concise and a compact expression of all of the benefits of the gospel, not for everyone who reads, but for everyone whose faith, uh, who by faith looks to the person and work of Christ for their salvation. That's one of the dangers sometimes that we, we have when we have um, unbelieving friends or family members, and then the first thing we want to do is just give them a Bible. And then they think that they read the Bible and have no idea of how to read it. And then that we want to, they want to take it and make it a map book on how to have a successful life. And not understand that the purpose of God's revealed word is very specific. And even though there's much wisdom that can be gleaned from the pages, the point of the Bible is not to give more wisdom. The purpose of the Bible, God's revealed word, is to reveal his grace as it is set forth in the person and work of his son for the salvation of our souls. He's given us the totality of the Bible to reveal that message, but there are some places in the scriptures where that purpose of salvation, it just, it just, it is given to us in very compact terms, and if you just explain it and open it up, everything that is for our salvation can be found in certain texts of scriptures that stand alone, and this is one of them. Therefore, even though the word gospel never appears in this verse, I would argue that this is an expression of the gospel. What, what Paul says here is a summation of what the gospel is. Now, before we look at it, because it does stand alone as a, as, as a, as a summary of what God gives us in his grace in the gospel, I want to give three preliminary observations before we actually explore the text itself. Three preliminary observations. The first one is this. I would argue that gospel preaching, regardless of the text of scripture that is used, gospel preaching that is true gospel preaching is the articulation to whatever degree of what is contained in this verse. In other words, gospel preaching, if it is true gospel preaching, Real gospel preaching, whatever scripture you're preaching from, to whatever degree it is being done, it is an articulation 
of what is contained, either in part or in whole, of what is contained in verse 19. So that's number one. Secondly, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is the reception of what is announced and articulated in verse 19. It is the reception of the content of this verse through our senses. In other words, the gospel reaches us when it's proclaimed, it reaches us through our ears. When we receive from the Lord's table, we are receiving the gospel in physical form and therefore the gospel is being placed in us through our receiving of the Lord's Supper. And what is being received is the same thing that is articulated in verse 19. The gospel, anytime the gospel is preached, it is an articulation of some aspect of what is contained in verse 19. And when the supper is received, it is the physical bodily reception of what, what Paul declares to be the gospel in Philippians 4.19. Here's a third preliminary observation. The growth and stability of the individual Christian life is in direct correlation to one's ability to reason from and make application of what is expressed in this verse. The, the, the individual, the, the, the growth and the stability of, the in, of individual Christian growth, you individually, you grow in your faith, you are stable in your faith in as much as you are able to reason from and to make application of what is expressed in this verse. So therefore, the gospel, if the gospel is ever preached, it is always preaching about what God has supplied in Christ. What we receive at the table is what God has supplied in Christ. And our growth is our ability to reason from and to make application of what God has supplied in Christ. That's, that's, it's, it's as simple as that. Now, let's look at four things in relation to the text, and we will be through. Four things. The first one is this. The gospel is the divinely guaranteed supply of all that a guilty sinner needs for eternal salvation. The gospel is the divinely guaranteed supply of all that a guilty sinner needs for eternal salvation. Notice what Paul says. God, he doesn't say God might. He says God will. Not God will if you. You're not even in there other than as a recipient. God will supply not most of your needs, but he will supply all of your needs. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is God supplying all that guilty sinners need in order to be reconciled to him and therefore have eternal salvation. The gospel is God 
supplying. Paul says in Ephesians, not by works, lest any man should boast. So the gospel is God supplying. We need to know this at various points in our journey, not just in the beginning of our Christian walk, but we need to be reminded midway. We need to be reminded later in the day. We need to be reminded as the body grows weak that it is God who supplies everything that is necessary for our salvation. It's, it's, It's not about us joining him. No, no, here's what the gospel is. The gospel is the announcement of God supplying I mean, it it can't be any clearer than that. That's one of the reasons some of these standalone scriptures are worth looking at alone. Because it removes any ambiguity. What Paul is saying here, even though the word gospel never appears, but the very statement that God will supply all that you need. Now, it's important that we see this through the lens of the gospel, Because he's very specific in terms of what God will supply. All of your needs. That doesn't mean mortgage. It doesn't mean promotion. And brothers and sisters, it doesn't even necessarily mean a successful surgery. God will supply all that a guilty sinner needs to be to receive eternal life god will supply that's the point that paul is making that and and we'll see that in a moment that he's actually qualifying what god is guaranteeing but the point is the gospel is about god supplying No conditions, God supplying. Well, here's the second thing. That being the case, if you're going to speak so emphatically, if you're going to say that this is by way of divine guarantee, this is something God says he is committed to doing, then what is it that he's guaranteeing? What is he guaranteeing? And Paul is very clear, what God is guaranteeing is all of your needs. Now, who is he referring to? He's referring to regenerate sinners. And so the question that is raised is what is needed by a guilty sinner for salvation? What is needed by a guilty sinner? What, What does a guilty sinner need from God? Because that's what God is guaranteeing. That's why, again, he's not guaranteeing that you're going to go in tomorrow and your boss is going to act like he has some sense. He's not guaranteeing that. He's not going to guarantee that the dog that keeps you awake at night is going to stop barking. He's not guaranteeing that. But he's guaranteeing everything that a guilty sinner needs in order to live before him both in time and eternity with complete salvation. The reason we know this is because everything that he guarantees is secured in Christ. But let's look at three things that a guilty sinner needs. 
And this is what God supplies. He's guaranteeing it. Number one, a guilty sinner needs a means of removing the guilt of original sin. That's where we start. Here's the way David expresses it. David says in Psalms 51, I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. So I came here with a stain and a soil. Before I can talk to God, I got to deal with my birthmark. Before Before I can stand before God, before I can promise to do better, before I can do any of anything that is pleasing to him, I must first deal with the guilt that I came here with. And brothers and sisters, there is, there is nothing on the market that can cleanse you from your sinful DNA. And so God himself has sent his son who was born under the law for those or who, was born, who was above the law, but he was born under the law. And here's what he has done for us and for our original sin, for our original sinful state. He came forth from his mother's womb as a human ought to come forth. He was conceived, it says, of the Holy Spirit so that he comes through into the earth the same way that you and I do, but he came without guilt. He came without the stain and the soil of original sin. And so what God has done, because we came here messed up, he sent his son who came here without our mess up. He came here as a human ought. He is the only human being born of a woman without the contamination of sin. Adam was created from the earth. He didn't have a mother. And he was created perfect and upright. And everyone that came from Adam came here messed up because Adam messed up. And here's what we have in Jesus. We have a holy baby. He's not so holy that he didn't cry. You know the, the, the God-awful Christmas hymn, not a sound did he make. No, he came here crying. He still needed milk, but he did come here without the stain of original sin. And so when God supplies all of your needs, what he supplies you is a representative that does not have the taint and contamination of original sin. But here's something else that we need, and as as a guilty sinner, we need a personal righteousness that meets the standard of God's law. That's what we need. Because God in the law says that he, this, is, this is what we ought to be in thought, word, and deed. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. It says in chapter 12, or chapter 12, verse 14, that no one, that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You see what we need? We need someone, and here's what, I, I know a lot of Christians, and they mean well, and, and I know they really believe this, but, but they, they mean well when they say, well, I'm not what I ought to be, and thank God for that. 
But then they'll say, but I'm not what I ought to be. Well, there's the problem. Not what I used to be, but I'm not what I ought to be and what I'm going to be. And that is good in your household. But it is of no value in the presence of a thrice holy God. Brothers and sisters, the only thing that allows us to stand before God (coughs) is that we must be clean on the inside. That's what David says in Psalm 51. You desire truth in our inner parts. So here's what we need. We need a righteousness that exceeds our own. We need a righteousness that meets the standard of God's holy law. And lo and behold, not only does God give us a savior who is our representative without the contamination of original sin, but he has given us a savior who has kept the full requirements of God's law in thought, word, and deed. What is the essence of the law? To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. If anyone does that, you go to heaven. If anyone does that, if anyone keeps the full requirement of what God requires, then God owes you a place in his presence. But here's the truth of the matter when the lights go off. It doesn't describe us. And in the best of our moments, yes, we can say, I, am, I thank God I am not what I used to be. And all of your family members say, amen, we thank God you're not what you used to be. And God says, that's cute. It's not enough. It's not enough. Our thoughts are supposed to be pure. Our words are supposed to be gracious. The very affection of our hearts and our thoughts and our emotions are supposed to be calibrated to the holy character of God's law to the point that when I see my neighbor, I don't see an enemy. I don't see a rival. I see the image of God that I respect. And here's the problem, brothers and sisters. That's not us. And you say, well, what if I'm better than That's good. And like I said, that's going to make for some better family reunions if you're better than what you used to be. But brothers and sisters, we need a righteousness that meets the full standard of God's holy law. And we don't have the ability to provide it. So here's what Paul says. God will supply all of your needs. And that includes the righteous standard that he has set in his holy law. 
But here's the third thing that we as guilty sinners need. We need a heart that is alive unto God and a consciousness of our true state. We, we need a heart that is awakened to him. This is why in, in, in Ezekiel, God says, I will take your heart of stone. Because brothers and sisters, here's what we have. We need a new heart because apart from everything else, in our fallen state, we have a heart problem. And, and, and it's funny that we don't see our heart problem. We, we don't see it as that. We'll say, well, my deeds aren't what they ought to be, but my heart is in the right place. And so God gives us our own personal spiritual EKG. And he says the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Paul says in Ephesians that we are dead in trespasses and sins. The heart is corrupt above all things. And that's why God says in Ezekiel, I'll take your heart of stone out of you and I'll give you, I'll give you a heart of flesh. And what he's talking about is not a physical transplant. But he's talking about an inner renewal that will allow you to see yourself for what you really are. Brothers and sisters, do you realize that in our fallen state, we look at ourselves in the mirror and we look at ourselves as we are reflected in others around us and we think we're doing pretty good. But God takes us into the consulting room and he takes that, that, that stone that makes you feel better because you're better than you used to be and better than you think your brother-in-law is. And he gives us a heart of flesh so that we see that we're not what we ought to be. Malcolm Muggridge tells the story of when he was in India and he was an adventurous thinker and a broad thinker and he was thinking that he wanted to finally reach the point where he was so comfortable with himself. He says, I've tried everything. You know, I think I want to try. I want to have a relationship with a woman who's not my wife. And he was convinced that this is the time, this is the place, he's in India, he's swimming, and, and he's swimming in the, in the ocean, and he says, yeah, I've finally reached that point. And he looks out, and as he's swimming, lo and behold, he sees the form of a beautiful woman coming towards him as he moves towards the shore. And he says, ah, must be the right time. Here's, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this, look at what God has put in my, in my path. And as she sees him coming towards her, and he's already convinced that when he reaches this woman, he's going to proposition her and see if she would open, be open for it. And the closer he gets, he looks and he sees that she's a leper. And he says, in that moment, he looked at her and he said, oh, what a vile, despicable, 
unseemly person am I? And brothers and sisters, God is the one who allows us to see not the stain that that's what the, that's the whole point that Jesus is making when he talks about stones and 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 or when he talks about logs and specks you see something about our fallen nature allows us to see the sin in someone else a mile away but we are so blinded that we're walking around with a big old beam out of our eye And we don't even see it. And so therefore we need a new heart. We need a new level of consciousness that allows us to see what Paul sees. Notice the difference when Paul says when he was was really doing his thing and he thought he was something. He says I was a, a Jew among Jews, a Pharisee among Pharisees, but then I met Jesus. And you know what he saw, how he saw himself after he met Jesus? He says, thank God for Jesus who died, came to die for sinners of whom I am the chief. We need the ability to see how repulsive we are without grace. Now, here's the beauty of it. We can't see ourselves. In, in fact, Let me just back up a little bit. Jonathan Edwards puts it this way, that before God makes men mindful of his mercies in Christ, he makes them mindful of their misery. And brothers and sisters, we need to know how miserable our condition is, and that first has to be supplied by God himself. And it's not until we see our need and our desperation that we are able to see the solution that God gives us in Christ. All that we need, God says he gives. And what is it that a guilty sinner needs? He needs to deal with his original sin and he needs a righteousness that meets the standard of the law. And he or she needs to know how despicable we are without God's grace. Here's the third thing. All that God guarantees in the gospel is located in Christ. All that God guarantees in the gospel is located in Christ. Therefore, no, you don't need anything in addition. No, everything that God guarantees. And notice what I said. He guarantees. This is the passage that God is guaranteeing himself for. Three, a couple sub points here. God, everything that God, that everything, all that God guarantees in the gospel is located in one person, and that's Christ. A couple of things. One, therefore, the person and work of Christ is summarized in Paul's words as the riches of God's grace. Notice the way he does that in the text. He says that God will supply all of your needs according to the riches of his grace. 
And the riches of his grace is synonymous with the person and work of Christ. So all that God guarantees in the gospel is located in Christ and is for this reason that Christ himself is the summary of God's grace. And, and I don't think, it's, I don't think it's, it's, it's a stretch and I don't think it's reading too much into the text to say that there is no saving grace and there is no necessary work or gift from God that is outside of Christ. We need to hear that. We need to know that. That there is nothing else apart from Christ that is necessary for us to have a right standing and everything that God has promised and guaranteed in the gospel is located in Christ. But here's the second side of that. There is nothing that is needed that is not supplied. And there is nothing that is supplied that is not in Christ. And there is nothing in Christ that is not guaranteed. Let me, again, let's look at that chain. There is nothing that is needed for salvation with God that is not supplied by God. And there is nothing that is supplied by God that is not located in Christ. And there is nothing that is located in Christ that is not guaranteed. Brothers and sisters, do, do, do you see this? What that means then is we will hit some, we'll have some rough spots along the way. But if our faith is in Christ, there will never be a time that we do not have what we need. And everything that is needed is given in Christ. So faith in Christ is faith in the whole Christ. And everything that is in Christ is guaranteed by the Father. Well, that brings us to our final point, which is the fourth thing. When Paul says God will supply every need of yours, this does not mean that he gives you something new or that he will now give you something else to do. But I think basically what Paul is doing is saying that everything God has supplied everything that you need in the person and finished work of Christ, and therefore he will give you new glimpses of what he has already given in Christ so that you can see the sufficiency of the person and work of Christ and make application of that in your current season, in your current situation. In other words, when you are stressed out because of life, you don't need him to do anything new. 
You just need him to give a better glimpse of the fact that everything's all right. You see, when you go through life circumstances and challenges, you don't need him to come down and do something new. What you need is a better glimpse of the fact that your forerunner has gone behind the veil and you can now go boldly to the throne of grace and find mercy and grace in your time of need. We don't need God to do anything else. That's why Jesus said, it's finished. And so he invites us to the table. Because sometimes we get stressed out and sometimes we look at the things that are going on around us and we think, okay, maybe, maybe something else is, maybe we're not doing it right over here. And, and we say, well, I need this, that, and the other. And God says, no, 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 what you need it was to get rid of your original sin. What you needed was a righteousness that exceeds your ability and meets the standard of the law. What you need is a new heart to know what you need, and I've given you all of that. And so he calls us in the table, he calls us to the table, and he tells us as we are wrestling, and what is it that bothers us? It's the stuff that's going on around us, and the stuff that's going on inside of us. It's the breakdown of the body. It's our own inability to live to the standard that we claim that is God's. And we've messed up. It's pig pen experiences. But here's what God says. But I guarantee that everything you need for right relationship with me is in my son. And one of the reasons you're in the pig pen is because you have it. It's not that you don't have it. Maybe you got too comfortable with it and you weren't satisfied with it. It's not still yours. And so you felt that, that you needed your inheritance. You needed to cash in on something. So go, go. And the pig pen is where you are. But understand that in that pig pen, you're only eating what you've chosen for the moment. And it doesn't change what the father has supplied fully in the person of his son. And what does the son do when he finds himself in the pig pen? He doesn't cable home. He doesn't text his father. He goes to him, and what he finds is not a reminder of how bad he was and how irresponsible he was. What he finds is a waiting father with open arms. Brothers and sisters, you don't need to get in a blessing line. If you've messed up again, you don't need to get anything put on you. You don't need some foreign word spoken to you. You need to know that your father has supplied all that you need. And he has guaranteed that. Your joy is not guaranteed. But his son is. 
says he supplies all that you need according to the riches of his glory that are located in Jesus. And so I present to you a table that says what you need is right here. And if it's not here, you don't need it. But if it is here, he guarantees it. And what he guarantees is righteousness, satisfaction, sanctification, justification, glorification. And you say, I'm, look at me. He says, go ahead, eat. I know where you are. Eat. Eat and drink. Because this body is broken for you. And this blood was shed for you. And that body and that blood is all you need. And the Father has guaranteed it. What else can you say? But praise be to God. Glory and honor to the Father because he has given me everything necessary for life and godliness. And you know what? That means I will get home. And that means I will be all right because the Father has guaranteed his grace in his son. Let's pray.